Hello and welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast, the podcast where we discuss a variety of justice-related issues affecting the world over a cup of coffee. Now this episode is definitely a special one. If I asked you to close your eyes and imagine the story of a young woman being trafficked by her supposed boyfriend and forced into prostitution, I wonder what picture your mind paints. What does the victim look like? Are they Indian? Bangladeshi? Thai? Polish? How many of you imagined an English girl? If you haven't yet heard our podcast with Emily Chalk, the founder of the charity Ellis, who we spoke to back in February, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that one first. In it, Emily mentions one of the women she was able to help, a young English woman was trafficked to France and forced into prostitution aged 19. Here's a clip. Just again t- today, or not today, t- this week, connecting with, um, I would actually call her a friend now, but she's somebody who I caseworked for maybe three years and she's British and she was trafficked to uh, into Europe when she was... 19 years old I think so I got to meet her long story how we connected but she had only been back here a few months and one of the first things she said to me was I just want to be normal again now you could see all over her that she'd experienced something terrible she couldn't look me in the eye she was really yeah it was it was obvious that she was had been through something very difficult and yeah then uh, we sort of talked about what she wanted to do and in the end she ended up going back to university. I said if you want to <laughs> lead a normal life you either need to study or you need to go to work. I suggest going to study, a bit easier. Um, Definitely to, easier than working. Yeah. And she is just, she is remarkable. You would, if you met her now, you would never know that, what you know, she was completely unrecognisable to wow. the person that I met. Yeah, several years ago, got into running. She runs ultras. She's yeah, she's amazing, amazing wow. woman. I told her she should come on your podcast. Oh, flipping. <laughs> that would be amazing. And that's exactly what happened. A few weeks ago, I spoke with Claire, not her real name, and she very bravely told me her story. This is definitely the first time that she has spoken out like this. And it marks a significant step in her journey. This was a big deal and I felt extremely privileged to hear Claire's story. And I feel very proud to be able to share it on this podcast. It comes with a disclaimer. Please choose an appropriate time and place to listen to this one. We're going to split the podcast into two parts. So there's an opportunity for you to have a brief reprieve, maybe grab another coffee or something before we hear the second half of Claire's story. It's certainly an emotional one. So let's do this. So Claire, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you this evening. I've been I've been looking forward to it all day. How are you feeling this evening? Yes, good. Good. Yeah, it's been a, a good day. 
it's good to to meet so claire we came to know each other through a mutual friend didn't we and for those people listening to this podcast that haven't heard emily chalk's podcast earlier on in this series perhaps you could share with us how you came to be connected with emily yeah so i met emily gosh about eight years ago now i think it's about eight years um through the sophie hayes foundation um, so there was a book um, that was written by sophie hayes called trafficked um, which i had read um when I was going through a difficult time and at the back of the book there was an email if you wanted to get support um, and I emailed that um, and then the person that replied to me was Emily um, so that's how I came to know her and, and ever since we've been we've been in contact. You're thick as thieves now I understand Emily was I spoke to her a few days ago about us doing this podcast and she was saying that you've even run is it a marathon or, or some sort of race together she says <laughs> it didn't really work out that way because you just left her for dead and and ran ran it and she wasn't she was uh, not not <laughs> as to you and she's a pretty impressive runner so you must be rapid fast oh no not at all that was a really hot day actually the day that we ran that half marathon yeah we did we did it together kind of <laughs> kind of it, it was the same race and you were both there. <laughs> <laughs> the same race and we met each other at the end so that was fine <laughs> that's amazing so I want to to start this podcast by saying firstly thank you for coming on and I want I want you to go at your own pace you can say as much or as little as you want about about your life about your your story you can even use swear words if you like <laughs> that's they're very welcome uh, but I want it to be directed by you at your comfort level but I would just love uh, for you to to share your account and and your story and, and some of your life with us and, and with our listeners but before we get started I have to pose to you the same question that I pose to every guest on this podcast which is Claire how do you take your coffee you're not going to like my answer oh, no. <laughs> I don't drink coffee unfortunately this is becoming... I did work in a coffee shop at one point, though, so I do know some coffees, but um, yeah. I think we're probably something like 60-40 for the people that have come on the show. I, I need to start investing in tea, right? I need to bring it into the business more, <laughs> yes. clearly. I need to be more inclusive at Blue Bear. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, it's tea. I'm drinking tea tonight. It's far too late for us to, to be having caffeinated beverages, so I'm on to <laughs> very sensible the decaf the decaf tea tonight could I perhaps suggest that we start with um maybe if you wanted to share about your childhood and where you grew up and, and what that looked like well I, I guess I had quite a different upbringing to a lot of people um so I lived at home with my mum and dad um until I was about 11 years old um, and then I was taken into care um from that age and and that was because my dad was sexually abusing me um and I'd gone to school one day and we'd started to have like PSHE lessons um, and in that lesson they were talking about healthy relationships and it was during that time that I realized that what was happening at home with my dad wasn't supposed to happen 
Um, so I told a teacher that day. Um, and from that day, I, I didn't go home again. Um, and my mum found it too difficult to deal with. Um, she, she felt that she just couldn't cope with what, I guess, what she'd heard and what she'd been told. She felt that she couldn't believe it. Um, so from that day, I went into care. Um, and I, care was really tricky for me. I really didn't settle um, in foster care. So I guess most people would go and live in a family home, but I really, I hated that. I really struggled fitting in with a new family because I, I missed my own, actually. I wanted to be back with my parents. Um, and so overall, I had over 30 placements. I just used to run away. Um, because I just would rather have not been there really and eventually I ended up in a, a residential home which which did work better for me um, because they weren't people that were pretending or trying to be my mum and my dad um, and I felt that they weren't trying to replace the relationships although I wasn't in touch with them anymore they're still my birth parents but all through that although that was really difficult I, I did always like education so I, I liked going to school um, I really like learning you know um, so I was still quite interested in getting my GCSEs and I, I knew I knew from an early age that I wanted to go to university um, and I really saw that as my way out and it's really funny um, on a piece of a tangent, but I remember when I was younger, there was a speech by uh, Tony Blair, right? And he did this education, education speech. And I was only young at the time. And I remember that. And I remember thinking, you know, if I want to have money and have a stable job that I need to go to school, especially being in care and realizing that you really are on your own um, with that. Amazing. I wonder if if Blair would have known the power, the power of that speech, right? <laughs> education, 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 the power of three. Amazing. So, yeah, that's quite that's quite a remarkable start to life. And, and to, you mentioned 30, 30 different placements. So that was in a foster care arrangement before you found uh, a, a more stable uh, place. Than, uh, what, what, what do you think it was about going between families that made it so difficult for you? Um, I just felt that this wasn't my family. Um, I felt that at any point they could say, we can't cope with her anymore. We don't want her. Um, so I always felt like I was waiting for them to end the placement, I guess. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, it, it just reminded me of, of home, but it wasn't home. Mm. And I, I, I really found it hard when they would tell me it was my home because it wasn't really, it didn't really feel like my choice. Like I wanted to be with my mum, but that obviously that couldn't happen. Yeah. And how old were you when you stopped living in foster care and went to the centre? I was 16. So up to your GCSEs, you were still in foster care. And you managed to pass... You passed yeah. some of your GCSEs. All your, how did that go? Yeah, I I passed my GCSEs. I did pass, so yeah, I got um, 
I won a five B's and two C's. That's good. Um, but yeah, 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 it was, it was good. And what was... I would probably have liked to have done better, but you know. Wow, that's, I mean, for someone that is changing home and every all of the turbulence that must be involved in that to come out with those GCSEs is incredible what what was the thinking so you've recognized the value in education you you aspired to go to university was there a particular interest did you have is was it well I need to get this qualification in order to do this or was it just the the nature of education that you enjoyed what was what was it that was driving you to want to go to uni well, I, I, re I really wanted to be a doctor um, and, you know, I'd watch all the programmes on TV and, and then read books about getting into medicine. And I knew that you needed really high grades. Um, so when I got my GCSEs, yes, considering the circumstances, they were good. Um, but it was also quite disappointing as well because they were nowhere near what you'd need to to get into that that career um, so then I yeah I then decided that maybe that wasn't quite possible for me at that time um, and chose different A levels um, with a view to going on to maybe something else maybe nursing or yeah. And how was how was that then going going through college and off to university? Um, college was difficult I mean I went to quite a good college um, which was really good from an educational point of view um, because I got really good A-levels um, but I guess I didn't probably didn't I didn't fit in really um, I felt quite different to them especially coming from like a residential home and having lots of meetings and I just really felt like I stood out um, but I was really motivated because I wanted to go to university I wanted to move out of the area as far away as possible from the area I was living in because I really wanted to try and give myself a fresh start um, so I got yeah so I got my A-levels and I, I I was going to apply for like maybe Oxbridge or something um, oh, wow. but I so also you did, wanted you to did go well to on, you did well on your A-levels if that was an option yeah, I've got five A's, so I'm still really happy with that. Yeah, I'm super five happy with A's. that. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm glad I asked you there. I yeah. wouldn't have wanted you to humbly glaze over that. That would have been an injustice. <laughs> yeah, I was super happy. Um, and it really was kind of my whole focus then, studying for my A-levels, because I knew that, you know, I needed to get into university. Um, and in the end, I chose not to go to maybe as prestigious a university um, because I also wanted to, I don't know, really, just go really far away, really far, and that didn't feel far away enough. Mm. Um, yeah, I got there. Yeah. And that, that, was, that was really difficult. Um, first moving in was a bit of a disaster, really, um, because there was nobody to take me to uni. And then I didn't have like a car or, so I just had to decide, basically had like two cases um, what I could take on the train with me. And I just had to decide out of everything that I collected over however many years, whatever, um, what to take with me. 
I remember turning up to university on my first day, you know, to move in and everyone was moving in with somebody, like a, a mom or a dad or auntie. Um, and I didn't, and I just went into my room, you know, like halls, it's halls of residence. And I just shut the door and I just thought, I can't come out for at least a day until all the parents have disappeared because, you know, what on earth can I say um, as to where where my family is? Um, so that that really, that was the start of it, really. Yeah. I wonder how you navigate that through life, certainly then as a as a young, well, as a teenage girl, as a young woman going to university. Like how do you navigate that that weight of do I tell people about my upbringing? Do I try and leave it out and, and hope that people don't ask what how did you deal with that? So, I mean, that's something that I'm still grappling with really I mean when I was 18 and, and went to university I'd already decided in my mind that I wasn't going to tell anybody because I just wanted to to have a fresh start and I wanted to make friends and be normal maybe the word not the word um so I would tell people I lived with my mum and dad live with my mum and dad um and I, I would just really breeze, breeze over it quite quickly. Um, and I mean, now, um, now I'm getting a bit more confident. So some of my friends, I, I will tell them a little bit more. I certainly never tell the why I was in care. That's still too much. But some of my closer friends, I'm a bit more confident now to say, you know, this is what happened. And because they know me now, then it feels a little bit less. But at the time I knew nobody, I think going to uni for anybody is a difficult period and for some people it's the first time they've been away from home and it's somewhat intimidating and people deal with that in different ways but to, to go through it with the backdrop that you've described must be extraordinarily difficult. What did you do to try and settle in? How did you manage that in the early days? Well the first thing we did was I made my bed. I thought, just make my bed, get my room set up as I can. Um, and then the first evening I, I came out of my room and I probably stayed in there a little bit too long, <laughs> waiting for everybody to go. And everybody was in the kitchen um, drinking. And I remember just going in and sitting down and just thinking to myself, this is my time now. I either you know, I either make friends or nothing. I've got to give this impression. And that was difficult at first because the first conversations that everybody obviously has, where are you from? Where do you live? Who do you live with? All of this. So settling in was, was quite difficult. Um, and my, the people I lived with in halls, they weren't bad, um, but probably not my people that maybe I would choose to spend lots of time with. So that, that made it a little bit more difficult as well, especially as I'm quite shy. <laughs> mm, yeah, and I know that it was at uni that, that this experience started for you. How, how did that come about? Yeah. Well, I was really trying really hard to kind of make some friends and fit in. Um, I joined a number of societies um, but on reflection, my confidence was also so low um, so that when I was joining these groups and meeting people, I just 
it was just so quiet I think I just you know didn't really form any relationships and I just felt so lonely because I'd gone from living in a unit as such at least there was people around um, and there were certainly people checking up on me like my social worker teachers um, and then I'd moved to a whole new city and nobody was contacting me anymore and I just really spent an, a lot of time in my bedroom uh, on my laptop trying to talk trying to just have some kind of interaction I guess with people online and, th and that's when when I, I met this guy and I started talking to him really intensively really and quickly um, we would talk for a lot of the day you know and call him a lot and I really it was really felt like the best relationship I'd built with anybody ever yeah so tell me tell me a bit more about him and, and what happened with him so we we started talk well we were talking a lot um and i was he was probably one of the first people as well that i would speak to about my problems um and tell him what was going on for me and it i felt like he understood um and he would always talk about things that were really important to me as well like learning um education um, and he would also, you know, he said that he wanted to be with me and that he loved me. I mean, that he really wanted me to come and meet him. That I could just come for a holiday. We could then spend some time together. That it would be far better than the situation that I was in now. And it was, it was coming up to Christmas. And I had the dread of being on my own on Christmas Day as well and I just thought you know this is actually going to be really good I'm actually going to meet this person that at the time I considered my boyfriend although I hadn't met him yet um, and I just thought yeah this is this is good and I was really looking forward to it um, so then yeah I, I went over and I met him and what was that like when you when you met him and, and actually where else was he in France. So, so what did you do? Did you get a train there or fly there or? Yeah, I, I flew there um, and, and he met me there. And I remember I got off the plane and I was looking for him and he did look quite different to what I thought he looked like. Um, so he was a little bit older than I had expected him to look. Um, but I thought that's okay, you know, he, that's okay, don't worry about that. And I, you know, the alarm bells kind of went off in my head. What am I doing? This is quite a crazy thing for me to do, especially a person like me that doesn't really take risks um, ever. <laughs> yes, but I, I didn't. And for the first few days, it, it was okay. Um, we, we spoke a lot and I felt like I knew him really well. Um, so we did, I didn't really feel like I, I needed to get to know him that well. I felt like I already knew him. And, and after a few days, he just started saying to me, well, what's the point in you going back? Um, we're getting on so well. And if you go back, then you will, you know, you're, what are you going back to? 
I'm really, I didn't have very much to say back to that because in my head, what what was I going back to? I hadn't really, university wasn't turning out to be what I wanted it to be. And he was saying that things would be much better here. So, yeah. And yeah, so then after a while, I, st I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't want to stay, you know, I think, I, I think I'll stay for a bit longer, um, but it, I should go back. Um, I do need to finish off university and I give this a go um, and, and he said well you can't and, and at, at the, I, was, I just remember being like excuse me um, you know and he was like you can't I, I, you can't go back I don't want you to leave me you can't leave me how are you going to get back do you know the area do you know the language and I, I just didn't really know what to say um, and we were walking at the time and we went and had some food and I just didn't say anything for the whole meal. I didn't know what to say to him. But all I was thinking was, this, is the this isn't what I thought he was like. And it was the first time I really thought, this feels a bit scary now. Um, and by this time, he'd already got my passport because when I first met him he was oh give me your passport I will look after it for you um, let me put it in my bag and I didn't think anything of it you know uh, I just thought he was um, being secure being safe and then when the time came I thought I'd go bank and I said you know can I have my passport and he was like no I said to you 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 can't you can't and also I, I, I need you to, to help me anyway um, and then that's when he told me what he needed me to be doing. So, so this, how old was this guy? You said he, he looked older than you were expecting to be. How, how old were you expecting him to be and how old do you think he was? I was expecting him to be 25, um, but he wasn't. He was, he was in his 30s, 33. And how old were you at the time? Just turned 19. Wow. So after this guy said that he wasn't going to let you go and you realised actually I, I don't think he's messing around and, and this feels a little bit more uncomfortable and, and, and dangerous, what, what was it that he, he asked you to do for him? He said that he needed me to work um, and I said, well, what do you need? And he said, you know, I need you to work what are women good for? And he started laughing. And at the time I, I just looked at him and then he said, why do you keep looking at me? You should just look at the floor, just look at the floor. And I did. And then he said, that's it. That's what you need to do. You just keep your head down and you just need to work for me. And um, I will sort it out for you. You just meet them you know, have sex, it's fine. And then you give me the money and we, we carry on, it's fine. You're not going. And, and that, was, that was that, really. And at that point, I was just thinking, how, how, how has this happened? Um, and I wanted to ask him, 
what's changed because I thought we were together um, in a relationship, but I didn't, I couldn't ask anything. I just suddenly felt so scared of him. And at first he was really nice. So it just changed really. Yeah. Were you, were you in a position to speak to anybody about this back home at all? No, I, I had I had my phone, but he took my phone, so so that was gone. And then I also who who could I talk call? Um and because he knew me as well, because I pretty much told him everything and from my whole life. He also knew that I didn't have anybody. Um and he used to say, you know what are you going back to? You don't have anyone. No one will miss you. Um, stay here because I will miss you if you're not here. Um, so, and I just realized that there was nothing that I could do. I didn't understand any of the language, the signs. And I, yeah, I just felt the worst thing for me to have done at that point was to run or, yeah. Did you at any point feel physically threatened by this guy? Yeah, all the time. I mean, he he used to make food. And, you know, the first few days I was there, he'd make really nice food and we'd both have it. Um, and when I first went there, um, he showed me his knife set, like a like an actual kitchen knife set, you know, a really posh kind of, I don't know what a posh name would be for knives, but you know, like a posh knife set. Um, and he'd make these really nice meals. And then that night he was making food and he said, you know, this knife set, it, it doesn't just cut meat. And then he came to the table with food and I had like the tiniest meal you can, it wasn't a meal, it was simply a tiny peas on a plate and he had this full meal um he said do you know that we need to learn how how things will be from now on um but he was he was always threatening he was always you know always showing me the knife set always showing me what he would do uh, he would hit me a lot uh, it was yeah and when when was it that that you started to to work in his terms in order to to bring in the money for this man so the next day he was he was going through i bought like um with me just a, a back but a carry-on luggage like a tiny backpack um and he was going through my bag and he was like what have you bought with you what's this what's this going through some of my clothes and I was just looking at him and I was like it's my clothes and he was like none of this will be good enough you can't wear any of this and then he just threw this like oh this terrible like outfit really short outfit and he was like just put this on this this will have to do because you haven't bought anything that will that will be suitable and I, I, I couldn't even say anything. I was just, 
in just total disbelief that this was happening and I went to walk into the bathroom to put it on and he was like why are you going into the bathroom put it on here I want to watch you put it on and then that afternoon a guy came to meet me and that was my first my first time working um, and I had no idea it was really yeah I had no idea what was going on and I didn't know what to do and I just remember like my big memory of this guy was how happy he was when men he kept smiling and laughing and I just yeah wow isn't she amazing so we're going to take a break here before we start the second half of Claire's story, I promise you're going to want to hear how Claire is today and what she is now doing with her life. Here's a clip. I, I reached out to Emily um, when I'd read this book that made sense to me because it was another uh, British person that had gone through it and I really felt that I was the only person in the UK that had managed to get themselves into this silly situation and you know through me and Emily she she very quickly came to meet me even though we lived really really far away from each other at the time and helped me to get back on track but with a lot of help I then went back to university you didn't just get through university you you did rather well didn't you <laughs> yeah I did pretty well yeah how did how did that work out for you? What was the scores on the doors at the end of that? Period? Yeah, so I got a first. Come um... on. So grab a coffee, tea if you have to, and meet us in part two. 